actually our belief is really so every patient is unique and and you have to find a way uh, with digitalization to to make the treatments personalized it is a tool to do and perform biomechanics simulations in a very straightforward way for every patient and also do and and reporting of these simulations for the quality management system that the medical device manufacturers also can show okay i tested this this is safe for the patient and and i can i can prove this but in total it is received very positively so they see the value of it but mm-hmm. what is what is also good in in medical in in healthcare is that they always work evidence based with that jan let's kick things off welcome to the show Hi, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited and we'll see what and then surprised where uh, we'll be excited what happens in the in the podcast. So and what Definitely. questions you ask. <laughs> Definitely. I'm particularly excited about this podcast um because I think I only had one lecture in my university back then, which was medicine for engineers to learn the lingo of um doctors and physicians and whatnot. So I'm also very excited because my background is actually in simulation and uh, you actually do simulations for the medical space. So the perfect combination. So uh, before we jump into the nitty gritty and the more exciting stuff, can you talk a little bit about your background, what you studied and uh, how you ended up at or with SimQ? That is exciting. So because actually, um, so my background is rubbers and plastics. So I studied that in a more like process engineering um area and i was actually also um doing an apprenticeship in the beginning of my career so i was doing an apprenticeship then going to study what i was doing and learning so rubbers and plastic and carbon fiber reinforced plastics and then i was moving into um into medical devices so and and from this i i started to grow interest during studies into numerical methods and then i was moving to um to bmw didn't didn't an internship yeah. there and and they, then i was was going back into medical devices and then uh, i was going into uh to, was accidentally coming to catfem medical so this is the former name of of simq and was doing my master's thesis there and then i was was growing the company together um, with the employees there and uh, ended accidentally in, in being a CEO. So that's actually how I was going going to come there. So how but, do you, yeah, yeah, interesting. How do you accidentally end up as a CEO? That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. So I think uh, it it was like there were a lot of scientists and a lot of research and specialists and experts in in simulation, biomechanics, and 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 uh, software development, but kind of the the guidance and the quality management was was a bit missing, and and I was was pushing that forward, and then I was just accidentally going into and where it was made and and CEO to to guide the company. So that's actually um, how it happened. So far, it works quite well. So we'll see. Yeah, you also had a funding round. I think twenty twenty two, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, a funding round uh, with 4.1 million in the beginning of 2022. So we really were able to grow the team a lot and to bring in new technologies and new talents into the team and, and grow the business. Yeah. Super exciting. 
So uh, tell the audience, what is medical simulation in the first place? I mean, simulation for some engineers might be pretty straightforward. You have the CFD and FEM topics and whatnot, but what is medical simulation? So actually medical simulation is, is a combination of biomechanics and finite element or CFD simulation. So what we actually want to do is bring computational modeling and or, or physics-based modeling basically to physicians that they can can use those technologies and leverage those technologies, which are um, very known and very accepted in, in automotive industry and also in, in other industries like nuclear power plants and other stuff. It's it's a lot of, it's used and it's a legit technology which can, can do a lot. And also biomechanics is, is researched on for many, 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 many years and also using finite element solver and 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 CFD and we want to bring it to the clinicians to the physicians to make decisions and and diagnosis and and plan surgery so basically simulate the outcome of of surgeries before you do them and before you perform them yeah that's super cool um all the personas that you've mentioned Jan like physicians for example obviously they're not simulation experts in the first place so they didn't study simulation they don't know what FEM or CFD is um, from from the first principle, so to speak, or how what the Navier-Stokes equation is, for example. So, how do you develop a tool that's easy to use for a physician, for example? How do you democratize simulation for these people? Uh, so, yeah, that's basically we we developed our platform SimQ uh, Core or SimQ platform, is it called? And and it gives the base easy to use functionality and scalability to make it useful for physicians because they would never install a FEM system on their system and have a, like a general purpose software and use it for diagnosis. So, so what we basically do is we develop medical device software, which puts medical questions in very easy and streamlined, easy to use workflows um, where a physician can input the patient data and does uh, simulations on top of them. And, and in a very just streamlined way, just a few clicks and very easy to understand. So that's basically what we do. And and also to, to make that happen, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning in combination to do the pre-processing and the post-processing of the simulations to, to make it, first of all, easy to create these sim complex biomechanical models out of each patient and then also using using machine learning and other technologies to interpret the results in a very understandable way and present and visualize the the physic behavior of of the of this treatment or of an, of a diagnosis yeah before we uh, jump maybe to the pre-processing processing and then post-processing stage and what simply can, can offer there i would be interested um, what output does the physician, for example, or the doctor get in the in the end? Is it like just a scalar value which says good will pass the test or won't pass the test? How does it actually work for the doctor? So that that depends on on the case basically. So if we're talking about diagnosis, it is more about visualization. So basically, going the next step from a three D image to enhance it with objective data like like velocities pressure and and other things so these are more visualizations and and then we try to derive um from clinical data and and so like validated clinical data we collect 
um, some kind of scholar values or or risk indicators or or something like this. So, for example, for obstructive sleep apnea, um, a disease and a tool we developed, um, which is used to support the diagnosis of, of this disease, so which is basically a collapse of the upper airway during sleep, um, we tried to to come up with an, or we came up with an so-called uh, pharyngeal resistance index, which we, which is a scalar value between zero and ten, and represents a risk basically, and which keep, can present it as a scalar value, and on top of that, the visualization for the physician to to really understand what is the anatomical problem of 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 this, a, a patient. So that that's how we would try to combine it. And when it comes to surgery planning, it's actually that we provide proposals. So usually we say, okay, you could treat the patients like this, this, and this. Uh, please pick the the most favorable solution to treat the patient. So what is best for you? And then it can go into the surgery. So that's how we handle it mostly. I see. Um, on one side, we have FEM, and then we have CFD for obstructive sleep apnea, as you just mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, for that, um, obviously, you might use AI in terms of like object detection or object recognition. Um, I was wondering, in terms of setting the boundary conditions, for example, for that simulation, is that something the doctor will be doing, or is it something your tool auto like recognizes automatically and then tells the doctor, hey, this is maybe an area which is critical? Um, how does it actually work? Uh, very good question. So basically, it's it you can never leave in in a medical device the boundary conditions to to a physician, so he doesn't understand yeah. CFD and and what he does there. So basically, you have to provide it automized and and in a very easy to use way. So what we basically do is we we put in uh, MRI data, so uh, from an MRI scan into into our software SimQosa and then the physician has to place some landmarks so they just put in four or five landmarks onto the DICOM pictures and geometry to to like set boundaries for our uh, machine learning algorithms to segment the or to to build a 3D model out of these 2D slices and and this is like a very easy input so he just it has like thumbnails where it's shown, okay, click here, click here, click here. Then mm -hmm. they do it and then they can send it away. And all these these like model creation and also the automatic setup of the simulations and, and the CFD simulation is done fully automatically. So which which is quite an effort and not too easy to do, but we we were managing to have robust enough models and robust enough automation um, technologies to really come up with those with this and and make it happen and make it usable for each patient and yeah and with a lot of inputs. Sure, there are some mistakes that can be done. Then the software has to prompt an error or warnings, etc. Um, but that is is really easily controllable for yeah. These specific workflows and you also have to think it's not a general purpose software it's just like one specific question and you have to do the workflow and it checks if it's done correctly yeah i'm i'm happy that you talked about the mri scan because we talk then we come to the area of empirical data versus um personalized data 
personalized um, medical simulation, so to speak. Why is it so important to have a personalized simulation and not just use empirical data from whatever database that exists out there? Uh, very good question. So actually, our belief is really so every patient is unique and and you have to find a way uh, with digitalization to to make the treatments personalized. And and this can be really well done with physics-based and computational modeling in terms of simulating it forward. So basically you have a data input, so one patient data, and on these patient data sets, you, you do a simulation and you see what is happening for this single individual uh, uh, when I do this and that and or how it behaves and visualizes it instead of going with empirical data, as you said. So empirical data are basically you have a big cohort, 500, 1000 or more patients. And you 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 see you take a look on statistics and see, OK, what probably happens for the next patient, but not really based on this data set of the patient. So it's always a a look back into the data, what was happening, and not a look forward like with our physics-based simulation. And that's, I think, is a strong USP of, of SimQ that we can deliver that um, that value to the physicians. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering about the maturity of simulation in the medical space. I mean, obviously, for engineers working, let's say, in turbo machinery, for example, it's pretty common to use CFD. But how how long does it exist to use simulation in the medical space? Is it a new thing? Is it a bit older already? Like, what would you say? Depends. <laughs> so um, computational modeling and simulation is used used actually a long time. So for example, with dialysis, um, these machines do like for 20, 25 years, they calculate what happens to your system when you mm -hmm. bring more fluid into your body or you're exchanging fluids so there's actually like algorithms are used for for like almost centuries so 20 30 years and but what is new is really that use and leverage finite elements cvd and and other technologies and bring it into medical devices and medicine so that is actually new. There are some companies and also very successful other companies who are doing it. For for example, Heartflow is an is an company in in California which is which is already has a reimbursement. So they get per simulation they get one thousand eight hundred dollars for their treatment because they save a lot of um, money for the healthcare system and also have a very or just great opportunity for the patients because they don't have to do an an, an very invasive treatment in in the CT and with a with a cardiac catheter. So that is really really awesome technology and very simple. Also, they're doing CFD simulations of the cardiac vessels and and uh, combining it with AI. So it's really cool. It's it's new. It is there since a few years and yeah. and like for for biomechanic and research is, is like done for, for centuries, but it's not made the transfer really to, to the industry because it's complex, it's innovative and you have to collect a lot of clinical data and regulatory data. So to approve your devices.
Yeah, I think that would bring us to the um, topic of validation. So how do you actually validate these models? Is there like some kind of ISO certification in place that uh, ensures that there's actually everything is validated, everything is ready to use for a medical application? So how does it work in the medical space? Uh, so in the medical space, it's it's quite um, common to use algorithms and to use uh, different like or make simulation or a, a software as a medical device. So, so basically, we develop software as a medical device, and we are certified um, after the so-called thirteen four eight five ISO standard, which is basically the standard to develop those devices. And then you have to basically collect a lot of clinical evidence. So you you first of all um, have to define a problem which you want to tackle with your simulation, then you do a lot of research and train your model, calibrate your model, and also try to verify it. So with, with like bench tops and physical tests and sometimes also cadaveric studies. So you use cadavers and you try if it works the same or real time clinical data and try to train and calibrate your model. And after you, you did that, you tried to included into a software which is really fully automated and then you have to go the the usual way i would say how to approve um, algorithms and medical devices so you have to to ensure your technical documentation that your development is correct your testing is correct and your implementation is correct and then you compare it to clinical results and and do an so-called conformity assessment. So that's like what you do for medical devices to to approve them in Europe with notified bodies and in the US with the FDA, so the Food and Drug Administration in the US. So that's what you have to do basically. So a lot of work, but worth it. And definitely. How well is it actually received from the medical field? Let's say a doctor, for example, how how much do they trust these tools nowadays? Is it very hard to tap into this field and say, hey, we're actually creating a software that can predict forces or way, for example, um, set a cut into asymmetrical bone structure to make it symmetrical again, which is super interesting, by the way. Maybe we can talk about that in a minute. So maybe the first question then is, how well is it received from the medical people, so to speak, um, that they can use simulation nowadays? Um, predictions. That is actually depending on, on the the surgeons and the physicians, um, but in total, it is received very positively. So they see the value of it. But mm -hmm. what is what is also good in in medical in in healthcare is that they always work evidence based. So for a startup, that's maybe not perfect because <laughs> collecting evidence in a in a higher amount of patients it, it just takes a long time and it's not easy to do to really show that your your simulation your tools are working and you really make it better and you have a benefit for the patient and or for the surgeon that takes a lot of effort but but the physicians are um they want to have this evidence before they really treat patients because um they don't want to do harm to their patients and, and it's the last thing they want to do so that's why they are a bit cautious and and really see what what you're doing and and check what you're doing and want to see some evidence before they use it um which is actually good so if i would be a patient also want don't want to be a guinea pig of of some company 
and try the new software and, and see if it works. So, so that's why um, there's there's some some time that has to be has to go. Yeah, that make, that, yeah, that makes sense. Super interesting. Um, I was wondering maybe from the time saving aspect and also. Let maybe let's talk about the time-saving aspect and how much time you actually save using simulation and maybe AI-driven methodologies. What what are we talking about in terms of time savings or maybe cost savings even? That is a good question and depends on 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 what you're doing. So, for example, um, if it goes to um, to the treatment what you just mentioned, so the um, we call it SimQ RPE. It's an it's a surgical planning tool. Mm -hmm. And where which we research on with where you can um can like guide the surgeon how to do cuts in an in a skull. So for the procedure is called SARPE. So which is called uh, which is surgical assisted rapid palatal expansion. So basically it's for patient who has an who has an too narrow upper jaw and they mm -hmm. want to push it apart. And what you do there usually is you you do some unloading cuts in into the maxilla, so on the upper side, and you want to push it further apart. But the problem is that it is quite unplanned how you how what it what the outcome is. So because they have to see how the this this the stiffnesses of each um, skull sides are, and every skull is asymmetric. So probably the result is mostly asymmetric. So one side moves more than the other, mm -hmm. and and or in different ways and not planned. So they just make it wider basically. And and what we do basically is we simulate how to cut that we have a symmetrical and planned outcome. So we know where where the where the parts of the uh, maxilla go, and then we we or with this we can save them a lot of time so in in in, in terms of they don't have to do another resurgery so to to like fix the the asymmetric skull and or um reduce the afterwards orthodontic treatment so what they do after the surgery is basically they get braces and the patients and it's like they need patients for for three, five to 10 years um, after that. So depending on, on how how asymmetric it is. And with our software, we are able to to really have a an, an good planned surgery and the teeth in positions. And so the orthodontic treatment afterwards really is reduced to, to two to three or four years instead of 10 years. So that that is a lot of time and money saved for the healthcare system. And for the patients, I think that's mind blowing. Like such such an amazing like procedure in the first place. Like you basically set a cut and make the face symmetrical again or the jawbone. I think I feel for me, it, who's not in the medical space, this is insane. Like this is crazy for me at least. Super. Thank cool. you. So yep. What what other um, applications are you working on? Maybe you could give us a few more examples. Maybe not for the jawbone, but maybe other parts of the body. Um, so for example, we, what we really saw lack of is mass customization of medical devices. Um, that's something we started with, um, and, or, or have a product actually. So it's, it's quite old projects called SimQVIT, so virtual implant planning, uh, implant testing. And the problem is basically that, that there are a lot of customized and personalized 
uh, 3D printed implants out there, but it is not possible to test them uh, in terms of safety and efficacy that much than like usual standard off-the-shelf devices. So if you have like a hip, which is off-the-shelf, it is like there there are five different sizes, but they are known and you can test it in a benchtop before it gets implanted into to a patient. And with these mass customized implants, that's not possible anymore because you, you produce it once for one patient and you don't know how it behaves in the patient. And it's just like designed more or less from from like worst case examples and or a feeling of gut of the of these implant designers. But there's no testing, there's no verification anymore. That's why we came up with this tool, SimQVIT. It is a tool to do and perform biomechanic simulations in a very straightforward way for every patient and also do and and reporting of these simulations for the quality management system that the medical device manufacturers also can show okay i tested this this is safe for the patient and and i can i can prove this so from a regulatory perspective so that's yeah. also what what we do for example yeah um when we go maybe from pre-processing up to post-processing how much or how long does it actually take from acquiring the data doing the simulation and actually um taking it into the real world or making a um a decision based on the physician's, let's say, gut feeling or based on the simulation, how long does it actually take from acquiring the data to the end? Roughly um, for SimQVAT, for example, for this. I, so for the SimQVAT, we're, we're quite proud and this is quite fast because we're doing like high fidelity biomechanical simulations with, with like five to six million nodes. So to reduce stress analysis of the implants. Mm -hmm. And and there we are. So from acquiring, so put in the data is like two minutes for a designer, then sending the simulation to our cloud infrastructure. The calculation mm -hmm. is done with 30 to 45 minutes. And so these high fidelity biomechanical simulations, and then they can retrieve the results and take a look on it in a very easy way. So they see where the stresses are too high, um, how high the force is in, in the, so in the, so in the screw and implant interface are so high are how high are the forces acting on the bone and and so on so then they have a lot of information they can use for planning and verification yeah do we actually do multiple simulations in terms of like convergence studies or anything like that or is it also automated um so it is automated but we do one single simulation for each patient mm -hmm. and but to to train verify and and to to build the models there's a lot of research done and physical testing and also sensitivity studies and etc to know the influence of the of the different like parameters onto your model so that's that's done before that basically and then we we just do one simulation per patient and send it away in and for each simulation we start a virtual machine in the cloud so that nobody has to wait for the simulations then they can retrieve the results okay. what would you say uh, what would you say are other key challenges in terms of simulation um, in the medical space the key challenges actually is um that uh, 
part building knowledge about the technology and not going on under in the AI bus. And that yeah. so the, the biggest problem would be, or the, the worst case would be that that um, the regulatory agencies don't understand the difference between it. And they say, okay, uh, your technology is AI because they tend to put the AI label on a lot of things. And yeah. And that could be a regulatory problem because it's just algorithms and you what you put in comes out so you know what happens and it's not like a neural network which you do not understand. So so that that is one one big challenge. And the other challenge is also interoperability um of of data. So it, it's really dependent on on how software develops in medical devices in the future. If they containerize too much by by like manufacturers that you can only connect with a CT machine or get CT data from uh, a machine uh, with this brand and so on, so that that would be worst case. But I think that's dissolving because the digital system amount is raising. So I think that's not it's get even more. So they need to be interoperable interoperable. Um, uh, because it's just it's getting too much digitalization then so they have to work together in some some way but yeah. these are are important challenges i guess yeah when we when we talked about the challenges where do you see maybe in five maybe it's a common question five to ten years what is your wish to maybe for simulation in the medical space where do you see the future going is it more ai driven or where do you see the future heading towards so i actually hope that in in five or ten years, this digital twin technologies or simulation technologies so is is equally present as as AI, and and that so it is starting a little hype, but it's it's like not not central, but uh, I hope that it's also like seen as a really legit technology and everybody knows about it and and pushes it forward so it just can help everyone who's working in that field and and trying to making it happen and from bringing it to to research from research to industry so that's what yeah. i wish for yeah um that's super cool let's see what the future brings also um i saw on your website when preparing for this podcast you make a differentiation between in vivo in vitro and in silico um, simulation basically what's the difference and what does in silico mean yeah, that's funny. So, uh, in silico comes from the pharma area, actually. So, um, they, so the meaning of it is is you start, um, you have like models and you do do um, uh, experiments in in vivo, so like in an in a living organism, then in vitro in in like in small. Uh, in like a lab or in in other um, in other um, like controlled areas, and then you can do also um, experiments in in the silicium, so in silico. That's where how they shape this um, this um, this term, and it is now used also in in all of the healthcare system or healthcare. And providers to go like into the computer and model things and do experiments in the silicium and use this so-called in silico technology. That's cool. Cool. Um, 
I think one thing that we might have missed is probably how to actually use the software. So how can people get in touch with you and how they actually can get started using simply or like few, like for example, simply VIT, how does it work? They just, uh, just get in touch with you and then what happens next? Uh, so all interested can just go through our website, send us a message. And if they want, they can have a, a, a demo version of the of the software and and just try it out and see what they can do with it and and so on. So everybody's welcome. Just go on our website and and send us a message. Maybe I'll give it a spin after the podcast and then uh, put a video on my YouTube channel. Let's see. You're welcome. When uh, one last question I had probably is the ethical implications. So. Are there any ethical implications when using simulation in the medical space? Um, definitely not. We, you have to, or we have to take care as every everybody else to um, to to like do research in a very very concise way. Um, usually, we do like ethical approvals for our research, and then we start with retrospective data. Then we are going to. Uh, like like uh, patient data, but not treating them. So live patient data, and then we go to cadaveric studies or other preclinical studies, bench tops, etc. And then we go to the patient and try things out. So that's the usual way. And in terms of, I see actually also an ethical benefit from in silico technologies and in silico um, because. It is also usable usable for to to approve medical devices and to also lower the, the tests on human and do like do it with virtual patients and in virtual cohorts and also get uh, reduce the number of animal testing because animals are also just a model so they are not a human mm-hmm. so so they are totally different and it's just a model where you test something and if you use use instead computers and do it on a computer they are even not that bad so there are some things that you cannot simulate or not yet um, but but you can reduce the amount of of animal testing and human testing definitely in the future and also now so there are examples out there that they showed it so from Medtronic and others that it is possible to reduce the cohort with digitalization no, I get it. Is there, by the way, a human approval needed? For example, let's say I'm a patient. Do I have to give my consent to actually, for a doctor to use simulation to do the medical treatment? Or is it like pretty straightforward? The doctor just does it and then that's it. Yeah, so usually it just does it. So if it's like extra payment for it, then you have to approve it. But as all other medical software, which is used, um, this the, the physicians just use the the best software they can do, or if it's available, the software to plan it and to make the treatment better, then they use it. And, and it's more of a bonus and a benefit if they can use something like this, but they don't have to ask for permission, just if we collect data. So then we need a permission. So Yeah, got it. Cool. Maybe last but not least, um, any recommended resources from your end, Jan, if anyone's interested in biomedical applications, maybe biomechanics, uh, combining it with simulation, what do you recommend people to to do? Read some uh, literature. Is there any pages that you recommend? Good question. <laughs> so I'm I'm not the research guy. Um, I would have to ask my colleagues that can shoot something afterwards. But no 
there are literature out there which can be used and there's great literature but actually i don't have it like in the back of my mind now yeah i will put it maybe in the description of the podcast and then people can just check it out papers or books anything like that that's a good cool. idea perfect to wrap it up uh, any closing remarks from your end Jan? i'll give you the last word and then we'll wrap it up Thank you very much for having me here. So I'm following your content for, for a long, long time. So it was an honor. Thank you very much. I hope it was not too too weird and, and <laughs> everybody can understand me. And, and it really was, was exciting to be here. Thank you very much. Sure. I hope maybe there will be a second part in the future talking about different applications then. Hope so too. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.